We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed, Blender HD. If you want to follow me on Twitter, and it's Tuesday, January 31st, and uh, running a little bit, little, little bit late today. A little bit late today. It's the last, the last day of the month, the last day before the break. The break, my break, my break. Programming note, programming note. There won't be another show until uh, next, uh, next uh, Thursday. Next Thursday, what? Uh, the ninth, the ninth, maybe the ninth. I think the ninth. Next Thursday, I am going away. I will be getting away from the cold, going down to Miami, going on a cruise to the Bahamas. Be going down there, not playing DFS, right? Just, just, just chilling, just chilling and relaxing, and being in nice warm weather. So, so I'll be gone. So it's not like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going away for long, but, uh, but I will be gone. So today, for the last day, before I'm leaving, we're just going to do Toss Up Tuesday. Toss it up! We're going to toss it up! We're going to toss it up to the chat, okay? The YouTube chat. Because a lot of times I'm, I'm getting questions. Obviously, send them in. Questions at theoryofdfs.com for topics to cover on the show. So email those in. We haven't been, been taking many questions from the YouTube chat. We've we, been structuring it. It's unstructured learning. It's getting maybe a little too structured, a little too structured. So today, it's all up to the YouTube chat, people, right? The YouTube chat has nothing to talk about. Then we have a very short show, okay? So it's all up to the YouTube people, like Wataz, right? Wataz, Wataz, Wataz. I, I never know if I'm pronouncing that, I'm pronouncing that right. I say Wataz, Wataz, or Wataz. Or Wataz? Well, good morning to him whatsoever. Uh, Richmond TX is here. Daniel Hutchings. Bart B. J. Willie. Matt Man, 1398. Waters. That's what it, the Wataz is saying. It's Waters. 
That's not waters. There's no R in there. That's watas, 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 watas. I have no idea. I know Suki, Suki Singh, but where was Suki? Suki came back for like a day or two, and then then Suki's gone, right? The early birds. We have we have Keith Keith here, Discount TV, Mike Oster. We've got people in the YouTube chat. What do you want to talk about? It's up to you, YouTube chat people. Let's toss it up. Toss it up Tuesdays. So type in the YouTube chat. And again, any questions, any topics, anything, anything you want to talk about. The last day of the month. Only one more football game to go, right? NFL. NFL ends with the Super Bowl. Finally. Right, we've got NBA, which I'm not playing. Like, I'm waiting for MLB. MLB comes back. I'll play MLB. NBA, NBA is silly season. It's always silly season. Too much work. Too much work. I have better stuff to do. Right, this is the first time in like what five years that I'm not playing NBA DFS. I, I did in the beginning until I saw like what 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 am I wasting my time with? I have better stuff to do. That's why someone's asking me, can I go through my late swap process for NBA? Supervash. Well, I, I technically can't go through a late swap process using lineup HQ without it obviously locking, right? We have a rebuilder. But without, without an actual slate going on, you can't really use it. I mean, you can use it. It'd be less efficient to use it. Your late swap process for NBA. What's the most important thing, okay? Let, let's... Instead of caring about the process, okay, people want the magic settings, okay? So anytime, I, I'm, I'm assuming this question wants the magic settings. Go through the concepts. The main thing to learn are concepts. Because I've gotten emails in, there are people that just don't understand. I could tell from the question. They've, they've, written, they've written 600 words about a question. And I and I read it and I go, this person, this person, there's no point in helping. Right? There's no point in helping a person like that because they're asking for a process when they don't understand concepts. Because if you understood concepts, you wouldn't have asked this question. Okay. NBA late swap. Okay. What is the single most important thing about NBA late swap? Let's see if the chat knows. What is what is the most important thing that if you get this correct, it's 95 plus percent of the way there? What is the single most important thing about late swap in NBA? Okay, no matter how many lineups you're playing, one lineup, 150 lineups, it doesn't matter. What is the, the most important thing? With NBA late swap. With any late swap, but NBA specifically, the most important thing. It's not opponent selection. That's macro, macro. That's obviously you want to, you want to play against the weakest players. I'm talking about for we're talking about GPPs here. We're talking about we're not talking about like head to heads or whatever. James Aguirre, what has already happened in the slate? Nope, that's nowhere close to most important. You could about NBA late swap. Okay, Richmond TX says injury news. Yeah, that's 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 too vague. You're on the right track, but that's not what's what's the one thing here? Let let me let me make it even simpler. 
If you could only do one thing, literally do one thing after NBA locks, some something happens. Some like Nikola Jokic isn't playing today. Oh, Steph Curry is out, or you know, like we get that after lock. If you were only allowed to do one thing, what would you do? After lock, LeBron is out. Everyone on the Bucks is out. An asteroid has hit the Earth, and half the games aren't being played. Whatever, whatever the news is. James Aguirre says update projections. True. Okay, you're, you're still getting down to a process. This person has asked, "What's the pro? What's the late swap process?" Let's say on today's slate. I don't know. I don't know how how much how much easier I can make this question. Let's say on today's slate, we have LeBron James and Anthony Dent. Like like the entire starting lineup of the Lakers is out. Okay, well, whatever. I, I mean, it doesn't matter. Richmond TX is reoptimize. What does okay? What does is technically correct? So lots of people that are out to be in. Okay, that that that, that is correct. You okay? Let, let's. Uh, you have hundred and fifty lineups. Let's say you have eight million lineups. Let's say you have seventy four thousand million lineups, and they all have they 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 all have players from whatever. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Before the Milwaukee game at 7.45, Giannis is out. Everyone screams from the rafters. Giannis is out. Giannis is out. Giannis is out. Obviously, you're going to be taking Giannis out of your lineups. Like, obviously, that's the, the most important thing, right? Don't get a zero. But remember, this person is asking about a process. So they're like, Giannis is out. Tell me how, show me what you do for your late swap process in 150 lineups. Okay. Giannis is out. Giannis is out. You have Giannis in 20 of your lineups of 150. Right? If we take a look at the, the, the projections for the Bucks for tonight or whatever. People in the chat are, are thinking way too complicated. Way that they're, they're not they're not getting the point of my question. Are you playing for first? You're playing for no. No. <sighs> Let's 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 break it down even simpler. I didn't realize I have to get I have to get this this granular for especially the people that are already in the chat. Daniel is getting to the point. Dead then now okay now now we're getting closer to the answer. What happens to the value of the other players when someone is out? Correct. Giannis is out. Giannis is out. Obviously Drew Holiday is going to go up in projection. Pat Con all all the bucks go up in projection. Right? Okay. We all know this. Okay? Richmond TX says, take Giannis out, T2 court IQ. You're still, you're not getting it. Process. We're talking about process. Let's add, let me ask Daniel, who has 150 lineups. Nerdy tenor. Okay, so Daniel, I'm, I'm asking you, Giannis is out. All the bucks will be updated. So projections will be updated. You don't have to do anything. Okay? You don't have to do anything. You have 10 seconds with 150 lineups. 
Drew Holiday projects for 70 billion points now. Pat Connaughton projects for 400x. Brooke Lopez projects for 70 trillion points. Okay, let's let's use the exaggerate. Those three players project for 800 billion points. You have 10 seconds. What do you do in 150 lineups? And assuming that you could upload in time. Drew Holiday, Pat Connaughton, and Brooke Lopez literally will score 74 trillion points today. Thank you. Daniel Hutchings has the correct answer. Jam in as many bucks as in many lineups as possible. Thank you. If you only had one thing to do for NBA late swap, only one thing to do. What is the most important thing to do? Obviously, the projections will be updated. You don't remember, we don't talk about sports here. I'm assuming the projections will be updated. And then you look and you go, oh, Drew Holiday projects for 74 million points. What is your NBA late swap process? Well, my late swap process is if a guy projects for that many points, my first priority is to just get them in as many damn lineups as possible. If I have to break up other lineups, I don't care at that point. He projects for 400 points over. His RGB is 74 trillion. Right. I, do I have to exaggerate this? Make this like, and the higher that number is, the more important it is. So you're that if you could just get that correct, you have a humongous edge on the field. Because remember, people don't late swap enough. The field in general. So most of the time in NBA, I'm, I'm going to tell you, most of the time in most top NBA, not top DFS players, when something happens, Oh, the Knicks, uh, Randall's out all of a sudden, or, you know, some starting lineup change. Obviously, you update the projections, right? Our team will automatically update them. Take a couple of minutes, but they'll, they'll update them. Then you take a look and you go, oh, this guy, this guy, because of this guy being out, this guy projects for way high. So you know what I do? I jam him in as many lineups as possible. Then it fits. By default, if it... If you only have two lineups, then play them in both of your lineups, right? If you have 150, does it mean you have to play them in 150 lineups? No. But if you look at most of the top GPP players that play 150 lineups, when stuff happens like that, you will see essentially jams. It's like, oh, the guy went from 0% on to 78% you know, exposed in their lineups, and they're jamming across the board. Right, and Jokic is out, and this guy's out, and now Jamal Murray's. It, 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 most people will do it that way. That's the the most important thing. Past there, that's only that's ninety five percent of the way in NBA late swap is updating your projections and just rerunning lineups. Especially when players go from not being any any worth val, worthwhile value at all. To heavy, heavy value. Now, sometimes you won't get the the guy's projects for 74 billion points, but the projections will go up. Some of the Pat Connaughton may now go up uh, three points in projection, which makes him just, I guess, slightly better play or something. And you can just go rerun the lineups and see does he fit in? How much of him do you want? You did. My NBA late swap process when I was playing, you know, 50, 60 lineups was nothing more than that. 
oh, the Warriors are playing late, and now we just found out that Wiggins is out, and and Draymond's questionable, and he's probably not going to play. And then it's like, okay, we'll update the projections, and obviously all the players that are currently in at the 7 o'clock, 7.30, 8 o'clock games are going to be locked. And then you just jam them in. Well, how about this lineup here and that line? Like, no, that's, that's, well, how about this lineup that's closer to the top? This lineup that has already has a snowflake in it. All of those considerations strategically pale in comparison of the number one most important thing is that, especially in basketball, the guy that projects for 74 billion X, right? Because of some guy being out, just jam. That's the most important thing. Don't don't get to the point where you got 15 minutes and you're you have 20 lineups. You're like, well, this this lineup doesn't have enough leverage, so I'm gonna I'm gonna move this guy up there. And by the time you get to your 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 14th lineup, the, the, the game is locked, and you didn't get you didn't get the guy that's gonna score 50 points for 3,800 into like five different lineups because you were caring so much about getting it perfect. Well, if I play this guy, then I should play a guy from the other side of the game. And then the correlation, the negative correlation of this dude, the guy projects for 74 billion. Just jam him in. Just jam, jam that team in. Right. So just like Daniel says, like jam as many bucks into as many lineups. Yeah. But can you play, can you play Brooke Lopez and Drew Holiday together? Can you, can you, is there a negative, like, dude, jam in all the bucks. Don't overthink this. Just jam them in. They're, they're underpriced. Right, you look here. You go. Well, can I can I can I really play Grayson Allen and Pat Connaughton together? They kind of share. They kind of share the court to get like, dude, dude, you got ten minutes to just just click on their names and jam them in. But do I really want to play a lineup with Connaughton at small forward when when I have another guy that legit stop talking? Just jam them in. Just jam them in. That's it. That's the most important thing. Outside of that, I mean, that's where most of the edge and light swap is. Not necessarily like, like yes, by trying to rescue lineups that have snowflakes to min cash, you know, unblocked lineups towards the top for first place. That that's five percent of what late swap is in NBA. NBA late swap is oh, a guy's out. Every someone projects three people project for a million. Jam jam those guys in, and when in doubt. Jam the late guys in anyway. So I went in doubt where it's like, oh, this guy projects for just, you know, oh, this, oh, the starting lineup changes and, oh, maybe the Pelicans are going to do X or whatever, whatever the hell it is with their rotation. So maybe this guy projects for three points better than what we thought. It's like, well, Jim, put, when in doubt, the the guy with the guy was supposed to be, was only going to be 5% owned. Maybe he should now be 30% on, but he's only going to be 15% on. So when in doubt, jam those guys also. Maybe not to, to his, what, whatever extent that you want to. That would be a diversification issue on risk tolerance for you. But like tonight, we have this 10 o'clock game late at night. Like if it turns out that, you know, oh, someone's out, someone, you know, I'm more likely to to jam the late guy jam or play more of the what the late news brings only because the ownership almost never catches up to it it does to some extent it depends on the contest you play 
But if you're playing a large field GPP, like the, the, the low stakes large field GPP, the ownership never catches up. You will get an ownership discount. I don't know to what extent, but you you most likely, almost always will. So like if Giannis is out for Milwaukee, you know, like seven o'clock, eight if there's an eight o'clock Eastern game. I'm just saying if Giannis just he's not playing. And you're like, well, Drew Holiday is gonna be over. No, he's not. He's not. He's not. And I'm talking about Giannis being out after seven o'clock. I'm not talking about like, oh, we find out this out at one o'clock in the afternoon. This, this is late swap. So it would be after seven o'clock Eastern lock. Supervash. I'm not thinking of a magic button. I guess to explain further, you talk a lot about using the optimizer to make the lineups you want. So for late swap, are you using rent? No, you don't have to use randomness. You're still talking about settings. You're not talking about lineups. You know what I do for NBA light swap? Yeah, this is out. Okay, this is literally exact. I'm going to explain literally. Because people don't believe me. I show literally what I do. And people still ask questions. And they ask, like, no, it can't just be that. And I'm, like, telling you, it is just that. Whatever your process is for DFS, it is probably 20 times too complicated. 20 times too complicated. Well, you know what I do for NBA? Okay, I I have 50 lineups. I go, I upload this to, you know, the rebuild, late swap, right? Late late swap, whatever, right? I don't change any settings. I don't do anything. I load them all in. Giannis is out. Drew Holiday projects for 74 billion, right? So you know what I do? I... Jam in his butt. I, I re, just press the build button. Press the in my 50 lineups. How many bucks? How many bucks is it jamming in? Oh, I'm getting 86% Drew, Drew Holiday in my lineups now. I'm getting 54% pack up, and then I'm up re uploading. Then I'm done. That's it. That's it. That's all it is. That's all it is. I'm just pressing a button. No randomness. You could if you want, if you want more more diversification or something. But in the situation where, oh, it's a half an hour before the game and Giannis isn't playing, you, Drew Holiday projects for 74 billion points. I mean, the, the projections get updated and I'm like, okay, jam jam these guys in. Just every, every, everywhere possible. Give it to me. Give me four bucks in the lineups. I don't care. That's the most important thing. Just that's it. And then I re-upload. If I see that maybe there's certain lineups towards the top that have like too high ownership or something, maybe I'll set a max ownership even with the late swap. Of course, I need to change the bucks. Of course, the ownership may not even be accurate anymore. I would have to redo ownership now. So I know a bunch of people that where's where does the honest ownership go? Where does any I don't have time for that? I really don't even have time to, to even consider that so once i i can't even update the ownership necessarily in that small amount of time i may not even consider that oh the up the projections got updated this starting lineup has changed and this thing has happened okay let me see let me i'll go i'll reload my lineups and i'll run i'll run the lineups again did that did much change right oh now i'm getting like two percent of this guy that wasn't there maybe i don't swap anything Late swap is most useful when something happens that creates immense value. And you know what you do? You jam them in. 
take a, take a look. Go through results TV. Take a look at Sharp Players' 150 lineup sets. You'll see that. Giannis is out. You'll, you'll see most of the Sharp Players will have like 88%, 96% Drew Holiday. They, they, they may have had zero at 7 o'clock Eastern. And now they have 97%. They have 57% Pat Connington and 22% Grayson Outland. And it's like, where did that all that come from? Yeah, they're, they're just putting it in and jamming. Take a look at their lineup. Well, this lineup doesn't make any sense. They have this guy and this guy. Wouldn't this be not right? And this little t- dude, late news, jam him in. That's the most important thing. A&S Comedy says, I don't know how y'all play D- NBA DFS. I don't have the patience. So I'm happy golf and MMA are back. Yeah, golf is easy. Golf and MMA. Oh, now MMA has no late swap, so that's easy again. Golf you do once a week. I mean, golf, I mean, dude, if you... Golf is probably the, the, the one that you have to commit the least amount of time. Right, golf? I think you need 10 minutes a week. You, you got 10 minutes once a week? Probably good. You may have to wake. Sometimes you got. Sometimes you got to wake up early in the morning to make sure some players don't withdraw. Right? If you play, if you're playing Jason Day or something, right? If you're playing Louis Oosthuizen. They 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 withdraw after lock, so it doesn't even matter at that point, right? Jason Day has some back problem. Oh, he did oh, three holes in. He withdraws. Oh, that's what you have to worry about in golf. Uh, so uh, what people are talking about golf, golf, I consider golf to have the least, the, the sport with the least edge. Like to me, to me, that's why I don't play PGA DFS anymore. I think, I think it, it PGA is the, the hardest sport. Trevor says golf cumulative ownership, even for the optimal lineup is low. From a standpoint of being different, I never have to get that different from RG Optimal, even for larger field GPPs. Possibly. But golf, why Why is golf, why is PGA, I'm talking about main slate, classic PGA, not show, not the, not the single game, the single day showdown. That, that there may still be edge in there. But the classic PGA, what is the reason why it, it I consider it the hardest sport? Why is there little edge, the least amount of edge? I mean, Nerdy Tedder knows. It's the only sport that has this dynamic when it comes to when it comes to predictive power. You go any other sport, it doesn't, doesn't, MMA, no. I mean, MMA is closer, but no. MLB, definitely not. NBA, but not completely. The reason why PGA DFS is, is, there's less of an edge is because if you would took, took any of the variables, Right. Two things. One, yes, Daniel says the prices are rarely very inefficient. Correct. The prices are typically by the by the win odds of the players. That's how they price. They do, they do that in MMA as well. But MMA, 
the prices are inefficient because they go completely by the money line, but not how they score. So a guy that's like 9,500, that's a minus 500 favorite that like, just like dances around and does like one, you know, punches on the outside type of fighter may have a heavy chance of winning by decision. Not much of a chance of a knockout. Like my 9,500 is like, you're going to get like 85 points. Like it's not worth that price. And because of the, that salary, the salary dynamic in golf, where they're rarely golfers that are inefficiently priced or that inefficiently priced, that as long as you spend most of your salary or all of your salary, you probably have a decent lineup. That has not much different from another person's lineup. And secondly, if you took any metric, if you took any variable from PGA, right? If you took any variable. So if you go into like MLB and you're like, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to take the, all these, that's what a model does, right? Takes takes variables or covariance and measures them and with all the past data compares to act, compares to fantasy performance. We're trying to find what is most correlated to fantasy performance. So F fantasy points, right? So what contributes the most? Like for pitchers, like strikeout rate contributes heavily towards a pitcher's fantasy performance. So if some pitcher has a 32% cast, uh, you know, K rate, that's a that's a high covariant towards fantasy performance today. Right? So out of all those variables, those covariants in any sport, right? MLB, it's a bunch of baseball stuff, right? Basketball is a bunch of basketball stuff, right? Minutes and usage are the top top contributors towards the predictive power of fantasy points. But in golf, the one, the one variable that I that I've seen. This is when when I've gone through it. I maybe maybe it's changed in a year and a half or two years. But when I looked at it, the covariant that has the highest predictive power when back testing, when looking for five years worth of data for you to go. You can only use one variable to predict fantasy performance. Which one is the has the highest R? In golf and PGA, what I what I found, the covariant with the highest R is ownership. Ownership as a metric beats out strokes gained, ball striking stats, and all all all, all the golf stats. Pale in comparison to the own ownership. I mean, the ownership is not like heavily strong, but I mean, stronger than all the other metrics. So when you find that ownership, the higher the on the player, the more likely that they're going to put up a good amount of fantasy points, then what? where's the edge? Right? Where's the edge? Obviously, there's, there are going to be gaps there. The R isn't one, right? It's not even close to one. But when ownership is the biggest predictor of fantasy points, then like where? I'm going to play all 1% on God. Like you can't, you can't do that. Baseball, you can. Baseball, you can. Baseball ownership has almost nothing to do. Pitchers. Ownership for pitchers is high. 
That I'll give you. But for batters, Jesus. Not, not any nowhere close to it. NBA, it's not. I mean, NBA ownership is not even like that. Maybe maybe third or fourth on the list. But when it's number one, when it's number one on the list, and as you see people going through all these ball striking stats and heat maps and whatever the hell they do for PGA, go. Why don't you just go by ownership? They go. Well, that's stupid. Why would I go by ownership to predict who's going to do well? Well, that's what what seems like that's has more predictive power than what you're talking about. People are on data golf, looking through stuff, right? They're sorting. They're going, well, the past on not eight mile an hour windy days on dog legged courses, peat die courses, right? Then the short courses, the short. I'm like, dude, like, what's the ownership of this slate? Okay, that that's how you should rank the golfers because that that actually actually has more predictive power than any of these golf stats. And then they, you, they look at you and go, well, if I'm doing that, then what's the point of playing? Like, well, I'm just, just play the highest on players. It's, it's, it's better than not playing the high. I mean, like from the long run. Yeah. That's why, you, why that's why I don't play. <laughs> that's why I don't play. Even Daniel says my measured edge in classic golf is pretty small. It's higher for some other formats. Yeah, I can, I think it's exploitable. Because the, the ownership isn't efficient for the, the single-day contests. The round one, round two, round three, definitely round four. I mean, I still don't play them, but I used to. I used to play the when we're at the round four, the last round one, when they give you the finishing points also. Highly inefficient. I think the, those, those have the biggest edge. A lot of times in those contests, people go, oh, this guy's doing well. He has to continue doing well. This guy doing badly can't possibly do be do worse. There's a lot of variance in one one round of golf. Right, ANS comedy says recency bias makes showdown in PGA a bit more exploitable. That's correct. Jesse says golf DFS is just great for folks who can't actively manage lineups like NBA. True, but I mean, but where is the end? Where does the money come from? If you're playing for entertainment, go for it. Obviously, do whatever you want. But where does the money come from? When, 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 if you could build, if you could spend most, if not all, of your salary in, in a PGA Classic, and not have that dramatically different lineup, expectation-wise, than other people, like there's fifteen percent, ten to fifteen percent rake in these contests. Like where's where's the where's the where are the bad lineups? Show me the bad lineups. The lineups that project for way too low. Well, if you spend like 50k, it's hard to project that low, right? And the high owned line, show me all the the two high owned lineups. Well, the problem in golf is that the two high owned lineups actually have the highest R towards predictive power. The high-owned lineups aren't even as bad as they would be in other sports. They're probably still negative EV in golf. They're nowhere near as negative EV as they would be in like NBA or MLB or NFL. Because the predictive power of ownership is so much higher compared to other metrics in, in golf. So where does the money come from? Now you see why I don't play PGA DFS. I don't play the classic. If I, if I were to play, I'd play the the, the one day, the single round contest. 
That's why I stopped, I stopped playing PGA what? Regularly? Like maybe 2019? 2018 even? I may have played a couple with COVID, right? It came back. There was no sports. Then they came back and did some golf. And I'm like, I need something to do. But otherwise, I just I've just gone through PGA Classic and go, I don't, I don't, I don't see how I don't see how there's an edge here. I don't see how there's an edge enough to beat out a 15% rank. I, I don't see it. It's all, it's it just, it's, it's, if you could beat it, you, you could, you could barely beat the rake. And then at, at that point now, now it's just variance. Like, do you, do you want to have a 1% edge and at best and variance that, right? You could, do you like all the swings of going up and down like this, even without barely having an edge? Like, of course not. I don't want to do that. If it wasn't as much variance. I wouldn't mind just having a 1% edge, but not, you know, having what, 45, 50 slates a year? And barely, barely, if you had an edge, barely having one? Seems like a lotto at that point. James Aguirre is, I don't know if he's talking to inside. I don't know if we're talking inside the chat or anything. Did you look at ownership by salary? The higher owned guys at the top more likely to produce than the higher owned guys on the bottom, or does that not? It doesn't matter. Ownership is ownership. All I did was just plot ownership and fantasy performance and compared the two for like five years. And then, and then all the other all the other metrics as well. Like, oh, which one has the highest predictive power? Oh, ownership. Well, great. Because I used to play PGA from a contrarian standpoint of like, I'm, you know, anyone that's in a 155-person golfer field, it's like, what, 25% owns $7,400 golfer? Well, that's that guy. I'll X that guy out. I won't play that guy. That seems stupid. Right. Oh, this $9,600 golf, uh, 18%, 20% owned when there's like six other people in the nine K's. Like, why am I, why am I doing that? And you know what? These, these guys perform better than what you think. <laughs> like they just do. I don't know. That and That's why I'm negative in PGA. Cause I'm, Oh, I'm trying to play the game, trying to do game theory, right? Trying to do game theory. Oh, people play this construction, I'll play that construction. People do this, I'll do this. People do that, I'll do that. And I'm not playing like all like 5% of golfers. I'm still playing, you know, decently owned people, right? Then I just took a look and it's like, oh, when ownership, ownership is the highest predictive power covariant, like, oh, now I know why I'm losing, right? I'm being too contrarian. And I'm not even being that contrarian, right? But I'm still being too contrarian. I'm like, okay, if I need to build lineups that aren't that contrarian, like, well, how are my lineups that much different than the rest of the line of lineups in the contest? Because then I looked at the lineups in the contest and I go, like, how could there be an edge here? This is this is dumb. Daniel says, uh, showdown golf definitely has a bigger edge than classic. Yes, I agree with that for two reasons. As already mentioned, people get burned by recency bias. In addition to that, the variance is higher. Right. And higher variance is usually better for sharp players. Sharp players that play within their bankroll, obviously. Yeah, one round, anything can happen in one round. 
There's no cut to worry about, right? Some guy, right, third round, 12 points behind, you know, whatever. I mean, did we see those those last day ones? The reason why they switched it, they changed it. You have to remember that in golf, for the round four, for the final round showdown, they didn't used to have finishing boards. They used to have it like all the other ones. Where it's just pick your golfers and how they do, and that's it. Do you know the reason why round four? You understand if you understand the business of D- DFS, you'll understand why round four showdown in golf has finishing points as you know towards your contest. You you get points for where they finish. Round one, round two, round three, you don't. So some weird guy, Sam Burns out of nowhere, some weird guy with one, 1% owned could shoot eight under in one day. May, may not be anywhere close to, you know, winning the contest, winning, you know, the, the event, but just on a, just on a random, you know, the second round, he just shoots eight under. The day before he shot four over. Today he shot eight under. Best round of the day. He's probably like 1% owned in showdown. Right, because like, wow, this guy came out of nowhere after doing horribly, and still didn't make. They probably still didn't even make the cut, right, or something like that. So that's why the ownership could be inefficient for these these single round type of contests. Because, dude, anyone could go out and shoot eight under on any given day or something, or shoot eight over for no apparent reason. But on round, but on the fourth round, the final round, Sunday, they have the fitted where. You get points for finishing the event in first and second or whatever. Daniel is close, close to correct in the chat. I'm assuming casuals got pissed when they picked winners in round four and still didn't cash. Right, because they'd be like, oh, John Rahm's ahead. Right, John, oh, the the the, the leaderboard going into round four is like John Rahm and Colin Marikawa and, and whoever and I don't know. Jordan Spieth, is he good anymore? I don't know. And then it's like, you know, Trey Mullinex or whatever. Some 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 scrub that barely made the cut, like shoots like seven under with like a hole in one or something like that. Like, yeah, he's nowhere close to the top of the leaderboard, but you're gonna need him. If you didn't play him, like you're dead. And he's kind of right. He he's 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 done. He's done. He's he's finished his round by the time like the leaders even go even at even start the first round. It start there. Start the the first hole. Yet for for DFS purposes, if you didn't have that guy that was going on at nine in the morning, you're dead. Right. That is that. I guess that is related to the reason why they add finishing points for round four. The real reason is because DFS is an entertainment product. Right. Primarily in entertainment, people that played for entertainment, like making lineups and then watching, and then watching what happens, right? I'm going to make an NBA lineup tonight and then watch the Knicks game. And then I'll watch a little bit of the, the Pelicans game like, like they want to sweat, right? That's why people bet, right? I'm going to bet on this game to make it more enjoyable because sports for the most part suck, right? So I got to have some type of investment in the game, even if it's $5, right? That's that's the purpose. So, like in final round golf, 
What do we see on TV? We a lot of times the coverage doesn't even start until one, two in the afternoon, and the leaders like the the the, the leaders are up to like the fourth and fifth. They, they, you don't even get the first first hole. I'm talking about like the national coverage, not like if you have the God the PGA live app or whatever, like the the national coverage on NBC or wherever. That's what people want to do. I'm going to make I'm going to make a line of fourth round and then turn 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 on golf at one in the afternoon, two in the afternoon. It's going to go to like seven. Where a lot of the people that have already finished, like the guys that are way off, you know, made the cut, but now they're you know plus two, while the leaders are like minus twelve, like they're already done. And now we're getting to who's going to win the tournament. That that's what people are watching for. Especially in the last round. In the first, second, third round, I mean, who knows? But in the last round, that's what people watch. So to have it where those people that are the leaders don't have any type of significant advantage is like, then what's the point of what? I didn't get to see Trey Mullinax hit seven under and still come in 54th place. Right? No one saw that. Right? No one sweated that. So it's like, oh, we have to put finishing points in just so it gives a little bit more boost to the guys that are already ahead. Even if they shoot just even par the entire way, you're probably not going to win with them. You're not going to lose with them either. That's the reason. Understand that DFS is built primarily not for us, not for the people that watch this show. But for the people that where the money comes from casual people there are many many more of them they're doing it for entertainment so the same thing for mma late swap from an entertainment standpoint late swap is horrible it's horrible i'm telling you it's horrible when you when you see good players that could get an edge with late swap stay please get rid of late swap there's enough of an edge as there is right you can get rid of late swap in nba I'd be I'd be more likely to play NBA. There was no late swap in NBA. It's just too much work otherwise. Because I know how much edge there is in that. And even with that much edge, I still don't want to. I, I, I'm still, I'm done with it. I'm going to play poker. I'm making plenty of money playing poker. That was maybe the better decision. Still, still, still insane to me that I'm, going, I'm playing poker for lower variance. And poker already is high variance. But compared to DFS, right? When you when I I've talked to so many poker players that don't play DFS or barely play DFS and go, and they talk about oh the swings, the swings of poker. I've been playing what? Come back to playing seriously for a little over a month, a month and a half. It feels like there's no. It's, it almost feels like there's no variance. Like it feels that like such little variance in poker. I'm like, wow, this is this is refreshing to be able to sit down and. Play no limit live poker cash games for this seems like there's barely any variance. There's barely any variance. It seems, seems like it. I know there's variance, but compared to DFS, it almost feels like wow, I can get my money in as like an 85% favorite and just just win. Right? DFS, it feels like okay, in order for me to realize that, I have to like go through a forty thousand dollar downswing over the course of a year and then get a bank or something. 
Like, like, like live poker almost feels like, oh, this is. It's weird because if you come from poker before you play DFS, it'd be like, oh, yeah, there's the big swings in, in poker. Like, no, DFS is way, way, way higher variance. Hey, and S. Colby says, are you doing any poker tournaments? No, I'm not. I, I was never. I was never a big tournament player. Occasionally, I guess so. Tournaments are too long. They're too long. I like sitting down, playing. I can get up when I want. I can reload. I can do. I can do whatever I want. If I want to play, oh, I don't like my table. I'm going to go to another table, right? Oh, let's see what's going on over there. I'm going to play on that table. I'm going to play that game. I can go. I can play any. I can pretty much play any game. Tournament, you can't do that. I can't sit down at a tournament table and go, oh, I don't like my table. Can I sit over there? No, you can't. Oh, I don't feel very good. Can I? I'm going to go take my lunch break now. Can I just take my hour lunch break? No, you can't. I mean, you can. They'll blind you off. Did you want to sit here for 10 hours and then possibly make no money? No. Right? That's why I like cash games. Daniel Hutchings says poker tournaments are like a single entry GPP where you have to sit there for eight hours. That's correct. That's actually correct. Right. You just got to sit there for eight hours. I'd rather, I'd rather play. I'd rather be a double up. I'd rather it be uh, poker cash games are like playing a, playing a double up and then be able to, you know, sit out, get a playover box and go, go get dinner or something. Right. Get up, go to the bathroom. Not you don't have to miss hands. You'll get dealt in tournaments. You'll get delta hand, but if you're not sitting in your seat, they'll muck it. If I want to play for two hours, I'll play for two hours. If I want to play for eight hours, I'll play for eight hours. If I want to play for twelve hours, one hour, whatever. Obviously, there's a strategic difference. Also, cash games. I don't have to worry about ICM or anything, right? Oh my god! If I bust him out, oh oh, he's. He just shoved. What what are the shove charts, right? Oh, King Four offsuit. I got a shove. I got a three bet shove here. You don't you don't do that in cash games. A lot of times the blinds get so big that that's all it becomes. It becomes a game of who 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 can memorize the shove charts the best, right? Like that's about it. Have fun with that. That's not fun to me. James Aguirre, I love poker tournaments. Love the strategy. People are so afraid to die in tournaments. True. But I think I I, I prefer I I truthfully I don't care about watching. I I like watching the, the 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 cash game streams. If anything, I I I almost find tournament poker to be boring. I've watched some stuff like some tournament coverage recently. I go, wow, this is really boring. So it's so it's so much shove it's shove reshove it's it's to me I don't even view it as uh, it's like okay great who who was able to who was able to memorize shove charts and exploit other people the bottom of their shoves versus the top of their shoves like I could I'll I'd, I'd, I'll I'd rather watch you know like Hustler Casino live or something live at the bike I don't know if they do that anymore. Just watch a watch a you know 
it's even a 10, 20, no limit. Even if it, sometimes they'll run a 50, 100, 100, 200 as a cash game. They're like, okay, this is interesting. Wow. Actual. Oh, people are actually 200 big blinds or more deep. They could actually play a poker hand. It's not a, it's not a 16 BB stack versus a 35 BB stack. Like it's just like this. Great. Great. You're playing a two street game, right? Yawn. Yawn. Yawn to me. Let's see what happens when you're both 500 BBs behind. And it's a three bet pot and you're facing, you know, a 5X turn raise when you still have more than half your stack in front of you. Like when you still, when you, you still, you know, you're still plenty behind and someone raises the turn to five, five X is the turn after you see bet twice. That doesn't happen in tournaments. Why? Because that bet would all would automatically be all in. And then you'd you'd have more than half your stacking on the second bet anyway. So what the hell's the point? That's at least my view. That's why I don't I don't I don't find it very compelling. I don't find tournaments very compelling. To watch. Blitz all he says, go play Max Payne Mondays at the hustler. No. Number one, I don't I typically don't play that. I don't play that high, right? And also, also with those types of streams, it has to do with the entertainment value and everything. Obviously, they're obviously I'm nowhere close, right? Nor do I care about playing on streams. Because you gotta be entertained. I don't mind being entertaining, but my play may not be that entertaining. I don't know. Is it entertaining? Maybe it could be entertaining. I don't know. I I I beat I'm very good at beating average players. I'm extremely good at beating average players. I'm almost, I'm, I, it's, it's, it's astonishing. I don't even know how I do it. I, I, I'm pretty sure I don't even know how I do it. But if you put me up against like average to below average players, not really bad, because really bad, you just play ABC poker, right? You can't, they, they, they barely know what they're looking at. Really good. I could, I'm, I could do well against really good players also, but against the average player, average players, geez. They're the easiest. Now we're talking about poker in here. Anyway, I said it was toss-up Tuesday, right? We could talk about whatever, right? Whatever you wanted. We talked about NBA late swap. We talked about, we could talk about PGA, PGA stuff. Okay. So we, we did talk about stuff, right? People could watch later. I don't even know what the title of this is. Just toss, toss up, to, toss up, toss up Tuesday. Yeah, just, yeah, Steve, just name it toss up Tuesday. Or you go, do we say toss up or we could say NBA? Now let's actually know because we I remember I made the commitment that we're going to be labeling the the shows accurately. So we're going to do NBA late swap and PGA 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 ownership <laughs> something like that, like maybe. NBA late swap and PG. Okay, maybe. Maybe. So those are the two main things we talked about. PGA ownership and NBA late swap process. Something. Something like that. Blitzology says to play the main event, Blender. You'll be good on TV. Oh. Oh, that was before. Why?
Right. Trevor says, I've played mostly tournaments and you're not wrong. River spots are tougher for me since I don't get there nearly as often. Right. Exactly. You know what my best street is? The river. That is my best street. My best street is the opposite way. Right. When you're primarily a, de- a deeper stack cash game player. Like, dude. The river is my best street. And a lot of, a lot of times, truthfully, a lot of times against average players. If you just MDF the river, you're, 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 you'll, you'll make tons of money. All you have to do is MDF the river. That's it. Right. Either value. What you're going to do is either you're going to, if you know, if you're a value bet, the river, if you can, right. If you're pretty sure, if you're heavily sure that your opponent has value, has something to call you with and you bet, you bet a nice, whatever appropriate size you should with your strength of hand and you just bet it like exploitatively. If you just did that. And then if you have a medium strong hand to, to a weak hand that you've been betting or whatever, just check and MDF it. If you MDF, like dude, MDF is so profitable in these games against average players. Cause they don't understand what that means. And they typically bet too small. Right. So you just MDF that you just MDF them to death. Minimum defense frequency. So, for instance, if they like, if they bet a pot size bet, if you check and they bet pot size bet at the end. Now, obviously, you're doing that when like an obvious draw missed, right? You've been betting twice, right? You bet twice, or maybe you check the turn, maybe you check back the turn, and now they're betting into you on the river when like some seemingly brick card comes out. Let's say they bet the pot, right? It's a three hundred dollar pot, and they bet three hundred or something. So that means that, you know, it's a one-to-one, which means you should call with the top 50% of your hands that you will end at the river with at that point, right? So your strongest 50% in your range. So if you have one of those hands, just call. In the top, you have have to obviously iron it out of which which hands should you be shedding along the way. So by the time you get to the river, what's 50%, the top 50? But a lot of times people don't, don't bet. But half the pot, it's like, okay, 66 is the top two thirds of your hands. So, I mean, so I'm calling a, a lot of times I'm calling, right? I probably didn't get to the end with that, that week of hand in my range. Cause I don't, it's not like I played that many hands and they try to bluff me and I catch them. It's like, how you write so often? It's like, because you usually bet too small. You're bluffing bets. Like this is such an obvious bluffing spot that I'm going to call you. I've reached, I've reached the river with more than half my hands at this point. And because also when I bet, I tend to bet smaller. I bet like one third sizing. A lot of times I leave players with too many hands at the river. They have to get rid of those hands. Somehow hands that don't make it hands that are too weak. A lot of people just can't help themselves with eight high. Just, I'm not going to give up because if I check, I can't win the hand. And then they bet 200 on the river and I call. That's primarily because I'm not making pot size bets on the flop. I'm making third size bets, half bets, which means they could call me with third pair. They could call me overcard gut shot draws. And especially if some card that uh, that goes against my range hits the turn and I'm left with like a 
not the greatest of hands, but still probably the best hand. I may check the turn and then they bluff the red. Then it's like any card on the river. It's like, I almost have to call no matter what happens. If they check, maybe I even value bet there. So that's how, that's how I make money off of average plays. Mac four says our home runs, the biggest variance in MLB. Yeah, of course. That, Big events that score a lot of points. Looks like touchdowns in NFL. T-Max says, you said yesterday that you were going on a cruise. Are there casinos on the boats? Yes. I travel a fair, but I'd never gone on a cruise. Yeah, the casinos on the bus, uh, on the boats are horrible. Because it's your captive audience. A lot of times they have like automatic poker. They have like video. Like you, six people can sit and play poker on a screen. But it's like, it's a 10% max a 10% rake with like a $10 cap. So like that's raked ridiculously. And then the, the casino game, like, dude, uh, a lot of times on these casinos, they, they only pay six to five on blackjack, right? Not three to two. You know how stupid that is? Why would you ever play a game like that? So like, yeah, the, the casinos are horrible on, on ships. I think I think if you play like $25 a hand blackjack, they'll actually give you three to two on blackjack. But a lot of times what I will do is I will play enough volume. I will I will play. I will play blackjack. Perfect basic strategy until I get like all the all the free perks and everything. And then stop. Typically it takes me about six to eight hours of play at $25 a hand. I play for six to eight hours. They give me a little card that, oh, you can get all the, you know, because typically on these cruises, you know, you know, it's not all inclusive. You're not like alcoholic drinks you have to pay for. And they're typically expensive. You know, the fruity, whatever. And me, my wife would, you know, drink every single, you know, my wife drinks more than I do. But like, I'll just play $25 a hand blackjack for six to eight hours. And they give you like drinks on us card or something. Next thing you know, you could get, you know, as long as you're on the casino floor, you could get any, any alcohol you want pretty much for free. So, you know, then at that point, I just go down to the casino. Okay, what do you want? And we order two drinks and then we go go to a show, right? And then go back to the casino, right? Not barely play, right? Not play, just to order a drink. And then that's it. And that's all I've done was play six to eight hours. Then a lot of times the next day that you get a, in your room, you get a little card and it's like, oh, here's a free spa treatment. And then I give that to my wife, right? There you go. I probably broke even playing playing blackjack. Daniel Hutchings says, I played a couple of hundred dollar single table tournaments on a cruise once. Terrible rake, but still profitable because one or two players always completely hopeless. Yeah, you'll probably find really, really bad players. Really, really bad players. But hopefully you're not a bad player in DFS. I'll be gone. I'll be gone. I'll be gone until next Thursday. Okay? Don't DM me and say, where's the show? If there's no thumbnail, there's no show. Okay? Going on a cruise. Going on a cruise. And I'll be back next Thursday. Send in your questions. If you want a topic covered on a show, questions at theoryofdfs.com. Give me those thumbs up buttons, right? I The cruise will only be safe if you hit the thumbs up button, right? You want to be safe on the seas. I'm flying down to Miami. We're getting on. We're doing that tomorrow. We'll be back and everything. We'll be going over anything you want, right? We talked a little about NBA late swap, a little bit about PGA ownership. But I'll talk about whatever you want to talk about, right? Just email those questions in questions at theoryofdfs.com. And I will come back and we will we will talk about it. We'll talk about it and I will answer your questions about DFS strategy like I always do. 
Monday through Friday, usually, at 11 o'clock Eastern, on the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com.